All right, so we are in week six of the Apostles' Creed series, and uh, by the looks of the schedule, we will be done with this series at the end of this month, the last Sunday in November the 29th, and then we're going to jump into a Christmas-themed series, and then uh, I'm not sure where we're going in January yet, but uh, I'm going to be taking a retreat here uh, in a week or so to go off into the woods, in the middle of nowhere, and seek the Lord for the next year, and so we're going to see what the Lord directs me on for next year, starting in January. So we are in week six, and we've been looking at the Apostles' Creed. So the Apostles' Creed, and, and again, for, for those, I say this each time because I think it's important for those who may be coming in that you haven't been a part of this series. Uh, the Apostles' Creed is one of the oldest creeds, or you could call it a confession, of the Christian faith. It was written around three to 400 A.D., and so it's a very early creed. And, and a creed is really, it's, it's a declaration of what we believe about Christ, what, what we confess as Christians. And the Apostles' Creed, in comparison to other creeds, is a very small one. There's not a lot of details. There's a lot of details that are left out that other creeds throughout the centuries have filled in and made more full. And uh, so this by no means is a full list of the things that we affirm as Christians, but it really gives some highlights for us that we've been able to go through. We've looked, we've looked at that God is the Father Almighty. We looked at he's the creator of heaven and earth. We've, we've looked at the fact that he was crucified, dead and buried, and we've looked at that he was risen from the dead this last week. And, and so now, today, we're going to look at his ascension. In the section of the creed that we're going to look at, it says that he ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. We're going to look at the ascension of Christ and his position of being seated at the right hand of the Father. And I've titled the message this morning, Sitting, Reigning, and Interceding. Sitting, Reigning, and Interceding. Would you pray with me today? God, we come before you this morning, and God, what a privilege it is to gather around your word. God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to submit to your truth. And, and I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, that, that we would see you seated at the right hand of the Father, exalted, sitting, reigning, and interceding, and that we would fall more in love with you, that you would comfort our hearts through these truths. And God, I pray that, that you would help me, God, as I preach your word. Help me to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever, have you ever uh, gotten in your car and you started your car, and your, your, window was, your windshield was fogged. This morning, it happened to me. I got in my car, and my windshield was fogged, and so I had to, had to turn on the, the uh, thermostat, and I had to put it a little bit warmer and, and put, it on, put it on defrost, and, and it, it took about five minutes. And uh, as I was driving, actually, I drove through my subdivision kind of like that. I didn't get on the road, but it was kind of getting foggy. I could slowly see, slowly see, slowly see. It was not clear, then it got clear. Or maybe you've been in a car, for all of us glass, glasses wearers, you're in a car during the summer and you have the AC blasting and you get out of your car, what, what happens when you get out into the hot, humid weather? <laughs> like you can't see for about 30 seconds and you're just kind of like, you got to do this and you know, wipe them. And, and I believe that that is an illustration, a picture of kind of what's going on in our world today, in our life. And I bought some glasses and I kind of fogged them up. And uh, can you see the, the fogginess there? And and I, I think this is a picture of the fact that this is how we see the world around us today. And it's hard to see Jesus. Our spiritual lenses are foggy. And I think the world does a good job of trying to cloud. I don't know how well you can see this. Trying to cloud our vision from seeing Christ. And sometimes we've got to clean them. We've got to clean our vision today. We need to see Christ correctly. We must, 
We must clean our lenses of our eyes, of our glasses, to see Christ correctly. Who is Christ? Where, where is Christ? How do we see him? Is he just a, a, a weak man that was defeated by the Romans? Right? Was he just a good teacher? Who is Christ? We must see him correctly. The world will not give you any glasses. These are the glasses the world will give you. Actually, that they would be black, completely covered over, and you couldn't see Christ. But I'm saying in the life of a believer, sometimes our glasses get like this. Sometimes they get like this, and we can't see Christ correctly. And we need to be reminded as believers who Christ is. And this is what these two declarations show us in the, in the book of Acts. Excuse me, in the Apostles' Creed. We're going to look at, at the book of Acts. But this is what this declaration, that Christ has ascended, that he's seated at the right hand of God. This is what this does. It, it gives us a correct view of Christ and who he is in the midst of our world today. So we're going to look at this. There's multiple accounts in the Gospels of, of the ascension of Jesus. But we're going to look at Acts chapter 1 for the account of the ascension of Christ. Look at Acts 1. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus ascended and he is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. The, the resurrected Christ, his resurrected body, his, his glorified body. This is who Christ is, where he is, ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. And really the, the, the ascension of Christ is the beginning of something new in the life of the, of the church. And Jesus talked about that to his disciples. He said, I must go away. He said, it, it is profitable for you that I go away. And the disciples said, Lord, why, why would it ever be profitable for you to leave? And he said, because if I don't go away, the promise of the Father will not come. If I go away, the Holy Spirit will come. And so we're not going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit this morning, but that is one of the primary benefits or, or things that we need to think about as concerning the ascension of Christ is that without the ascension, the Holy Spirit does not come. And we're going to look at the, the work or the ministry of the, of, of the Holy Spirit on November 15th. So next Sunday, we're, we're going to look at the judgment of God. It's come to that message. It's going to be a really good message on God's judgment. And then the week after that, we're going to have a message called, We Believe in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at a message about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and his church. And so without the ascension, Jesus said the Spirit won't come. And, but there are also other realities that are connected to his ascension and the fact that he's seated at the right hand of the Father that I think we need to consider here today. In light of where, where we are, two days away from an, an election, we need to see who Christ is. We can't keep looking through these foggy glasses. We need to see what God's word says about Christ being seated at the right hand of the Father. Are you, are you guys ready to, to see him seated? I think there's three realities we must consider because Christ is seated at the right hand of, of, of the Father. So a seated Jesus reveals this. Number one, that Jesus is seated because his work of redemption is complete. He's seated because his work of redemption is complete. Look at what Hebrews 10, 12 says. 
It speaks to this. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what did he do? Sitting down. Done. Sitting down at the right hand of God. So a seated Jesus, one of the first implications when we see a seated Christ, uh, an ascended, a a crucified, dead and buried and resurrected and ascended Christ, when we see him seated at the right hand of the Father, it speaks to this reality that the work of redemption is done. He's seated. It's completed. Nothing to be added to his work of redemption. When you do work at your house, how many of you are gardeners here today? How many of you cut your grass you weed your flower beds. You know, so you get out there in the summer and you, and you weed your flower beds and you're working hard and you're sweating and you're, 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 you're pulling those weeds that, that never quit growing, right? And, and you're, you're trimming your hedges and you get out and then you cut your grass and then you get that edger and you're, you're, you're edging all your grass around the sidewalks and, and you're getting the weed killer, you're spraying the weed killer all around your sidewalks and you're doing all that yard work and, and you're done. You've been hot, you're hot, you're sweaty. You go inside, you get that nice ice-cold pitcher of sweet tea, and you fill your glass with ice to make it extra cold. You pull your sweet tea in there, and you sit down. You plop yourself down on your couch, and you sit and you drink that sweet tea because why? Because you're done. You're done. But is that true? Are you really done? Why do you know you're not done? Because those weeds are stubborn. <laughs> because no matter how much weed killer you put on it, they will make their way through the, through the concrete. Right? The grass is going to grow again. It's slowing down right now. I'm so happy about that, right? The grass will grow again. The hedges will need to be trimmed again. There's more work to be done. That's us. But not with Christ. When he does his work and he gets his sweet tea and he sits down, He's not having to get back up and going back on the cross again. It was a single sacrifice for sins, forever completed, forever done. When Jesus sits down, he's really done. The work is forever completed. The work of redemption is finished. Nothing more to be done. One final sacrifice that opened once for all time a way for humanity to be made right with God. Isn't that good news? Once for all time. You can't add to it. Yeah, you can clap. Somebody was trying to clap. Go ahead. Yeah, once for all time. If you're going to clap, let's do it, right? It's done. Look at what Matthew 27 says. This is a picture of Jesus on the cross here. It says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. What happened right there? The Holy of Holies was separated where the presence of God dwelled in the ark. In the ark, the presence of God dwelled there in the Holy of Holies. And, and only the priest could come in there. And he had to have the right purification and things had to be done right for him to get in there or, or else he would die. The presence of God dwelled there. But in that moment when Christ gave up his spirit and he, he, and he surrendered his life on the cross, it says that the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom, to signify that God had accomplished an opening of the way for people to come into God's presence, to be in relationship with a holy God. The Holy of Holies now is open, and through faith in Christ, through his work of redemption, his finished work of redemption, we can come in now. 
This is what a seated Christ tells us. When you see, when Scripture tells us that he ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father, it tells us that the work is done. You know, Job, in the book of Job, in Job 25, Job is suffering, right? He's lost his health and his wealth, and he's lost a lot of his family, and he's, he's lost his cattle and everything, and he's crying out, and he's, he's questioning God, and, and in the midst of all of that, his friends are looking at him and saying, what's wrong with you, Job? Clearly, all this is happening to you because you're a bad guy. You're a sinful man. And Job says, in Job 25, he says, how can man be in the right before God? How can a man, how can man, how can mankind, how can humanity be in the right before God? And the answer to Job's question is Jesus. Jesus is the final answer to mankind's attempts to find peace with God and peace in the depths of their soul. Job's question of how can man be right before God, which is a question that all of us have to ask. We all have to ask that question. And the answer to that is because of the once for all sacrifice of Christ. When he sat down, he completed that work. And this is how man can be made right with God. This is what a seated Christ reveals to us. He finished the work. And it tells us that we don't have to add anything to it. And I believe that throughout the history of the church, that men have tried to add to the work of redemption. They've tried to add their own works They tried to add legalism. They tried to add their own self-effort to the finished work of Christ. Look what Romans 10 says. It's speaking to this reality. It says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Which is saying that, that mankind tries to establish their own righteousness and not submit to God's means of righteousness. Look at verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What does that mean? It means that when Christ came and satisfied the law of God, was perfectly righteous, a sinless, perfect sacrifice, he once and for all did away with the reality that we had to obey the law perfectly to be made right with God. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. He's the end of the, the means of just obeying the law, i got to obey the law and then I'll be made right. No, now we are made right. Why? Because we place our faith in what Christ did on the cross. And he becomes our righteousness. It's the end. The seated Christ reveals that the work of redemption is done. It's completed. He sat down. He drank his sweet tea. And he said, look, I'm done. You can't add to it. My work, place your faith in my work and what I accomplished on the cross. That's what a seated Christ reveals. And we deceive ourselves. Listen, we deceive ourselves with an age-old deception when we believe that we must add anything to the finished work of Christ. It is Jesus plus nothing. We can't add anything and make that, make that sacrifice better and say, well, Lord, you really, if you would have just gone a little bit further, maybe, this, you know, maybe it would really stick. No, it, it, it was done. It was completed. We add nothing. We don't have to go back to the, to, to the ceremonial law. Paul did away with that. Look at Galatians. Look at Hebrews. It was a once-for-all sacrifice. We no longer come bring sacrificial animals. We don't have to abide by the dietary laws and the ceremonial laws. Paul talks about that in Galatians. He says that some people will come and tell you, don't touch this, don't taste that, don't eat this. What does Paul say? If you receive it with gladness and a thankful heart unto the Lord, you can receive it. But there are some that will tell you that, that you still have to abide by the ceremonial law. Actually, In Acts chapter 15, the church has just got birth. 
and there were some, it was all Jews that were getting saved in the, in the early church. But then some Gentiles, you see in Acts 10, Paul gives Peter a vision, and he goes to Cornelius' house, which was a Gentile, and he went and preached the gospel to a Gentile. And for the Jew, that was like, wait a minute, the Gentiles are outcasts. They can't be into the kingdom. And God had to give a vision to Peter to show him that the gospel was not only for Jews, it was for, for Gentiles. So these Gentile Christians start getting saved, and some of the Jewish Christians are like, well, hey, wait a minute. Some of these Jewish males said, hey, wait a minute. We had to get circumcised, and that wasn't fun. And so these Gentile males need to get circumcised too because the law says that. The ceremonial law says that. And so there was a big, as you can imagine, there's a big fight about this. And these guys, these Gentile guys are saying, uh-uh, we're not doing this. And it's, you better go talk to the apostles because this is not right. I mean, that's, that's literally, that's my paraphrase of it. But look what it says in Acts 15. The apostles got together. And after there had been much debate, I bet you there was a lot of debate, Peter stood up. And said to the brothers, the brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth, that, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us in Acts chapter 2. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith, by faith, by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke? On the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Do you hear that? That's profound. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Peter said, no, we're not going to add anything. We're not going back to the ceremonial law. It's done. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Do you believe that today? Paul preached that. Peter preached that. He, this is what he's saying in Acts 15. So this is the first picture of the seated Christ. This is what we see. This is what revealed to us. This is what revealed to us when we look and we gaze. And we see in Scripture a seated Christ at the right hand of the Father. His position of sitting reminds us the work of redemption is done. We don't have to add to it. Isn't that a beautiful place of rest? God, it's your work. It's not mine. And yes, I'm, I, I want to grow to be more like you, and I want to sin less. I, wanna, I want my, my life to be made more perfect in your image, but I can't add to the work of redemption. It's a once-for-all sacrifice. The second picture we see of a seated Christ, a seated Christ reveals, secondly, that Jesus is reigning high above all rulers and authorities. So he's seated, the work of redemption is done, but a seated Christ reveals that he is seated high above all rulers and authorities. And this is what Scripture shows us in Ephesians 1. Look at Ephesians 1. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us? Paul is saying this. He's saying that he's praying for the believers at Ephesus. He's saying, I want you to come to know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and did what? Seated him at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. And, and, where, and how is he seated? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is everything. 
He's seated in authority and power right now at the right hand of the Father. He is greater than every ruler, every king, every president, every person. He is the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. This is where he is seated. This is what we see when we look at Scripture. And it it says that Christ is, is seated at the right hand of the Father. It is representative of his power and his authority. He is the God of creation. We looked at creation in the beginning of the Apostles' Creed. And it reveals to us that, that without Christ, nothing that was made was made without him. Christ is God over all of creation. He's seated in the highest place of authority. You know, our world today, though, our world today, it orbits around power and authority that is demonstrated in the life of men and people, men and women. That's what our world orbits around. Do you see it with me today? Look around. It's a fight and a jockeying for position. Who can get into the prominent place? Who can get into the seat of authority? Who can have control? Who can have influence? And, and typically the people who have the most money have the most influence. And, and the ones that have the most money have the loudest voice. And they influence the culture around us. And it's a jockeying. And, and sometimes we can feel like that the world orbits around those men and women. And those organizations and those people on, in their positions of authority. Oh, but my brothers and sisters... Do not let your heart be deceived. Every single person, the wealthiest of the wealthiest, the, 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 the uh, what, uh, Jeff Bezos's of the world and the Facebook Mark Zuckerberg guy and the, and the Twitter guy, what's his name, Jack, right? You combine all of their wealth and the wealth of all of the richest kings and emperors throughout all of human history and it all is not even a drop in the bucket compared to the power of our God who is seated at the right hand of the Father. This is who our Christ is. What are, you, what are you seeing today? Are you looking at the world and you're looking at power and positions and, and you're thinking, man, where's Christ? I mean, it seems, like, it seems like this is just chaos and he's seated in authority. This is who he is. And, 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 and men who are, are, are wielding their authority, their so-called authority, it's because God's allowed them. We can often feel like man is in control. We can look at the issues of a world today and be tempted to believe that man has the final say. You go on the campaign trail and Trump will look at you today and yesterday and the day before. He'll tell you, it's your choice. Cast your vote. And Biden, he'll go across to another part of the country, maybe even even the same city of Trump, and he'll tell you, it's in your hands. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, we play our part. What, but what does the Bible say? Daniel chapter 2, blessed be the God, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. So yeah, our vote matters, and we need to, we need to, we need to vote in this election because it's important. But what are you seeing today? Have you been deceived today in believing that whatever happens on Tuesday is going to really impact what's happening up there? What, 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 what lenses are you looking through? 
whomever wins this election on Tuesday or whenever it's settled, <laughs> maybe a few weeks, I've heard that Pennsylvania, they might have, there's some counties that may not vote, they may not finish their counting of their votes for like 10 or 12 days. I, you know, look, I, I was 18 years old whenever uh, Bush Gore happened, okay? So I'll, I'll be 40 here in a couple months. I was 18 when Bush and Gore happened, and I wasn't aware of the world. You're not aware of the world at 18, right? You're just kind of in the wind. I'm just, I apologize to the 18-year-olds that are here, but I was just kind of in the wind. Because I can't imagine what you as adults were going through in 2000. Can you imagine that now? How, it was almost three months until the U.S. Supreme Court made a decision. Man, how chaotic would that be right now? But you know what? Jesus is still on the throne. His will will be done. And he's still ruling and reigning in power and authority. And this is so needed today. What lens are you looking through today? Some of you, if you're placing all of your hope in this election, I hate to break it to you. You might be disappointed on Tuesday. And and that could be for either candidate. You have to fight for a kingdom lens. Our life does not rise and fall on elections. Because we're not of this world. We're of a different kingdom. Our Christian faith is exactly what it says. Faith in Christ. Not Trump, not Biden. The kingdom of God moves forward with whomever is in the Oval Office. Do you know that? I have my candidate that I'm going to vote for. And even if I get disappointed on Tuesday night or whenever it's done, I'm ultimately not disappointed. Ultimately. Because I know who's in control. And if God allows it, then he's got a plan. It's not the end. I'm not going to quit preaching. And by God's grace, you're not going to quit coming. And we're going to still send money all around the world to foreign missions. And we're still going to do our outreaches. We're still going to do ministry. And we're still going to preach the gospel of Christ. Now, let me give you my caveats. This is my political message for the year. So here are my caveats. I believe it is important to vote biblical values. It is important to vote biblical values. And I believe that as Christians, the biblical values for us that really matter in this election is the right of the unborn. That the, that the, rights, the rights for everyone else is considered. Everyone has rights. We want to fight for the rights of everybody. But we don't want to fight for the rights of those that can't fight for themselves, the unborn. And that matters. And I just want to tell you, it's clear in this election. If you want to talk to me about it afterwards, when this is not going to be on YouTube, I'll talk to you and tell you how clear it is. The, the biblical value of marriage and family. The, the, the biblical definition of gender is on the ballot on Tuesday. So I believe that that is important. I believe that we should vote biblical values. And I also believe that in an election, I'm not voting for a pastor I'm not even voting for a spiritual leader. I'm voting for policies. Okay? Whoever wins there, they're not my pastor. They're not my spiritual leader. Do they, do, do they need to live lives of integrity and not do illegal things? Absolutely. And the law should, uh, should uh, judge them if they do not do that. But they're not, that the goal is not to be a spiritual leader. The goal is to protect the rights of American citizens and to fight for American people. And the policies that most reflect biblical values, you look at it, and you make your decision. But, I, I love this quote. Actually, before I get to this quote, this is my quote. I'm going to quote someone else. I'm going to quote myself first. 
But we should not forget that the kingdom of God does not rise or fall based upon what happens at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I'm going to vote biblical values on Tuesday, and I pray that you do too, as the Lord leads you. But the kingdom of God does not rise or fall based upon what happens at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Now, here's a, here's a, here's a better quote. This is a guy named Ed Stetzer. He writes for Lifeway, which is a Christian publisher. He says this, don't be all in on anyone but Jesus. Because Jesus is not coming back on Air Force One. And when he comes back, he's not going to be riding a donkey or an elephant. Anybody read the Bible in Revelation and seen how he's coming back? What's he going to be riding on? Then I saw heaven opened. Revelation 21. And behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, because he's coming in judgment. And, in the, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Who is this in Revelation 21? Jesus. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on the white horses. You want to be in the armies of heaven? From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. He's got a tattoo. And his tattoo says, King of kings and Lord of lords. A seated Christ reveals a Christ that is in control and in power. And his kingdom will prevail ultimately. So I want to help you today. I want to help you with what you're looking at. A seated Christ helps us with this election. It helps us that we don't rise or fall. We can't allow the anxiousness of what might happen. Is socialism coming? Or are we going to still have capitalism? Right? I could keep going back and forth, right? With all these scenarios we play in our mind. What's the future going to be like for our kids? We can't allow our hearts to be anxious. Because why? Because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's ultimately the one that's in control and in charge. I love a song just as we conclude the second point. It's a song written by Corey Asbury. It's called Sparrows. I encourage you to to buy that song, to download that song. It's called Sparrows. Listen to some of the lyrics. It says, the sparrow's not worried about tomorrow or Tuesday or the day after that or the troubles to come. The lily's not thinking about the seasons, the drought or the flood. The tree that's planted by the water isn't phased by the fire. So why should I be? Why should I be? The sun's not worried about the winter because soon it will pass. The light's not thinking about the darkness or the shadow it casts. So why should I be? Because you take good care of me. You take good care of me. You know what I need before I even ask a thing. You hold me in your hands with a kindness that never ends. I'm carried in your love no matter what the future brings. Yeah, you take good care of me. Our hope in this life is not dependent on any man. Our hope in this life is not limited to what people in positions of power do. Our hope is forever settled in Christ who is ruling and reigning, reigning over his creation. Do you believe that today? You need to change your glasses today? I would encourage you, change your glasses before Tuesday. Change them. Make sure you're seeing the right lens. 
Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's completed the work of redemption. And a picture of a seated Christ shows us that he's ruling and reigning in power and authority. It's his kingdom. It's his world. And thirdly, as we conclude here today, a seated Jesus reveals that Jesus is continually interceding for the saints. He's continually interceding for the saints. This is what Romans 8 tells us. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justified. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is what? Seated at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's praying for the saints. He's praying for the believers. He's interceding for us. What a great comfort. Hebrews 7 says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for the saints. What a great comfort. Look, you can come to me for prayer. We, we've stopped our prayer time because of COVID down here. And eventually we're going to open it back up when we're out of our phases. When we're out of phase three. We're going to invite you to come down. And, and you can come pray with me after service if you need prayer about anything. I will pray for you. And I can pray for you. And, and we can pray for one another. And you can put your prayer request on the prayer line on the website. You can write down there's a prayer wall down the hallway leading into Hebrews. And you can write down your prayer request. Put it on that prayer wall, and we will pray for them every Tuesday as pastors. And that's important, and we will pray, but, but Christ is praying for you. How powerful is that? I think we, we, we overlook that reality that Christ ever lives to make intercession for us. He's praying for us, and this is what a seated Christ tells us, that he is a compassionate high priest. He knows what we're going through. He knows the anxieties and the worries that that, that wrecked your life and, and, and overwhelm you in your thinking and he is interceding for you. Look what Hebrews 4 says. Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows that we're weak but he's a high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Do you remember Jesus' conversation with Peter? It's one of my favorite conversations that Jesus has with anyone in Scripture. Because Peter, we are Peter. If you don't know that today, you are like Peter in the Bible. And I'm like Peter in the Bible. And you can read the story in Luke 22. Jesus comes up to Peter and he says, Simon Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And what's Jesus saying there? He's saying that Satan wants to destroy your life. He wants to rock your world. He wants, to, he, wants you to get, he wants you to doubt your faith, abandon your faith, reject me. He wants to sift you like wheat. He wants, to, he wants to, to, to destroy you. But what does Jesus say? But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And I just want to tell you here today, I don't know where you are and what you're going through and the weaknesses and temptations that you face the trials and the anxieties that you're walking through, but a seated Christ reveals to you that you have a faithful high priest, just like was praying for Peter, is praying for us. He's praying for us. And what is he, what is he praying? Uh, you can look at John 17. This is called the, 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 the high priestly prayer of Christ. What is Christ praying for us? He's praying for his disciples then, but praying for us today. Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus is praying for you today that you will be kept 
from the evil one. That you would be kept from having your vision blocked from seeing him elevated, seated, high on his throne. A completed work of redemption. Powerful and authoritative and ruling and reigning. He wants, he's praying that you be kept from the lies of the enemy. From having your vision clouded by the ways of the world. I know that during this time, during this time, it's so hard. We have so much information coming in our, in our eyes and our ears. And we're taking in so much things. And we can be so caught up in the sway of the world. And we can forget who Jesus is. And we must hold on to a vision of Christ. Who he is. Seated. Compassionate. Completed work. Praying for us. The world, what they're going to tell you is that you've got to put your life in your own hands. That's what the world's going to tell you. That's the, that's the lens with which they're going to look at. That they're going to fog your glasses and they're going to say, put your life in your hands. You're the captain of your own destiny. You ever heard that phrase? Put your life in your hands. Live for yourself. Live for your desires. It's your life. Do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Pursue pleasure and possessions. Pursue what makes you happy. That's the end game for the world, right? The end game for the world is if it makes you happy. Hey, if it makes you happy, hey, how can I tell you it's wrong? If it makes you happy. And then another thing the world will tell you is eliminate anything or anyone that stops you from becoming who you want to be. What lens are we looking through? We need to be reminded that Christ is is a compassionate high priest. He's praying for us that, that we would be kept from the lies of the world and the lies of the enemy. The completed work of redemption, the reality of Christ's elevated position of power and authority and his position of compassionate intercession are all reasons that we should keep our eyes on Christ today. If there's anything you get today, if there's anything you get today, I've said a lot here today, if there's anything you get, keep your eyes on Christ today. See him elevated in power and authority. See him as a compassionate high priest who is who's praying that you would be not deceived by the world. Not buy into the lie of the culture. And all these, all these reasons are reasons we should keep our eyes on him. We must not let the world trick us into looking to other sources for, for hope and for peace. Look what Hebrews 4.16 says. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. So, as I conclude today, before I pray, have you, have you cleaned your glasses today? I've got some glass cleaner here. Have, have you cleaned your glasses? I pray this message has helped clean your glasses. I pray, that, um, I pray that when you leave today, that you will not believe the lie that our world and your life hangs upon what's going to happen on Tuesday. Because that is not true. I pray that you'll see Christ for who he is. That he's in control. That he's in charge. And if he is ruling and reigning and seated, seated at the right hand of the Father. Then no matter what comes. He's going to take care of us. That his kingdom is undefeated. We'll never have a W like LSU got yesterday. What, what, they, what they lose? 48 to 11? That never happened to Christ and his kingdom. We lost Joe Burrow. But we have Jesus. <laughs> right? So, you're going to clean your glasses today? I don't know if this is actually going to work. This is actually cornstarch. <laughs> you need to clean your glasses. And how do we clean our vision? With the water of the word of God.
the water of the word of God. Yeah, see, this is just going to smear it. It's not a good illustration. It's still kind, still kind of a little. It takes some work, right? You've got you to keep digging into the word of God. Let me continue this illustration here. You've got you to keep digging and you've got to keep wiping. You know, your mind's washed with the word of God. Amen? Amen. Would you stand on your feet with me? Thank you, Lord. Well, Lord, we've got a big week coming up. Lots of anxieties and worries. God, we've been watching Fox News and we've been watching CNN. We've been watching all these networks and we've been hearing stories and ideas and hypothetical situations. And I pray today that your people leave today with the, the truest of all truths. That Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. That there's nothing that will happen in this world that is out from under his care. And that we can trust him. He is our faithful high priest that is praying for us. And I pray that no one will leave today. And that their life will rise or fall based upon what happens in this election. That our hope is forever settled in a resurrected and seated Christ in power and authority. Lord, strengthen your people. Strengthen them today. Help them to have the right lens, the right eyes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I love you. I'll see you next week.